<sighs> so it's been a while. And uh, I, I know Tim and Sylvia, they're already holding their breath. Uh, before we get started, uh, I want to remind you that uh, this is Pastor Appreciation Month. And I hope that you've been prayerfully considering how you can show your appreciation to our pastors. Whether it's through a gift, um, some kindness, but it, at the very least, be praying for our pastors. Um, the odds are stacked against pastors from a worldly point of view. <laughs> Thankfully, God is on their side. So if they rest in him, they will be victorious. But we need to be praying for our pastors. And we need to make sure we're supporting them as best we can. Also, I want to just continue to ask you to pray for um, the fall festival. And just continued um, contact and interest as a result of that event. Um, I was not here for it. I hear it went well. I understand that the children enjoyed it immensely, and, uh, and so uh, I, I look forward to more events like that where we can have the community come and join us here at MCC. I want to ask you to pray about our elections. Elections are coming up. There's some pretty significant items on the ballot for the state. Um, I'm not sure so much about nationally, but state-wise, uh, there's some issues that we need to be aware of and we need to take action on. I'm not going to tell you this morning how to do that except to pray. Pray, pray, pray. All the way into the booth and then keep on praying as you mark the ballot. Do your research and uh, do what you can to be prepared to go into the booth and do what God calls you to do. We are not dependent on our government to make things better and to fix things. The fact of the matter is, because it's run by people, that probably won't happen. We rely on God. But there is this mechanism by which we can have some influence. So let's do that where we can and do it as in line with Scripture and with God's teaching as we can. So I want you to pray for that. And for the congregational meeting coming up. Um, it's our desire, obviously, to model the church as best we can, as best we understand from reading the New Testament and seeing how it operated. That means we need involved elders, we need involved deacons, we need our pastors, but we need involved people. We need to be engaged in this process. Um, and uh, we need to do all we can uh, to uh, support uh, this body of believers. And the message today is going to uh, center a lot on that idea and uh, this group that we, uh, that we identify with. I want to give you a little just a snippet about my trip that I was on last week. Um, it was a great trip. I got some pictures here to go along um, with uh, my narration, okay? The first stop, I got to stop in uh, Erlinger, Kentucky and spend some time with August. That's my grandson. Um, he's a pretty cool kid. And as I'm looking closer, I'm almost, are his shoes on the wrong feet? I'm not sure. But anyway, I had some fun with him. No, but then we went on to Louisiana. So we got a picture coming up here, I hope, of Louisiana. So up here is New Orleans, and then uh, down here is the Grand Caillou Baptist Church in uh, just uh, south of Homa, uh, Louisiana. Uh, Caillou means pebble. So this is the Big Pebble Baptist Church, okay? And it's on... Um, there's a bunch of bayous, and all the bayous, or the canals, or the waterways, have names. And the one close to this church is the, the Grand Caillou Bayou. And uh, that's where um, we uh, worked out of this church. And if we go to the next picture, 
I think uh, this is the Grand Caillou Baptist Church. Um, that is after about $450,000 to $500,000 in repair after Hurricane Ida two years ago. New roof, um, a, a large portion of the front of the building was damaged, replaced drywall, carpet, all that kind of stuff. Um, but that was done prior to our arrival. And um, this is where we had uh, a lot of our breakfasts and a lot of our dinners. <laughs> and, uh, and we worked out of there. Next picture, please. This is where we were working. Now this used to be the Grace Community Fellowship. This structure here, a building that's about 100 by 60. So this is the size of this room and out into the foyer. That was their worship center. And I don't know if you can make it out, but it was on stilts. Okay? Well, in Hurricane Ida, it got twisted to the point where they've con they condemned it and they were not going to be able to use it again. So uh, when we got down there, that had been demolished. And we worked in that small block building on the side there. We replaced drywall, we uh, replaced ceiling, we did some painting, we did some uh, work outside. And I want to hopefully we'll give you some more details on that at a later date. But um, I want to... I want you to pray for this facility. It's in Chauvin, Louisiana. Can you back up to that map again? I'm sorry. I got ahead of myself. So Chauvin, Louisiana. So we're getting down here a little farther, I'm sorry, in the bayou. Now, as a crow flies between that spot and that spot, it's maybe five miles, but we couldn't find any crows flying. So it took us about 25 minutes to go up the bayou and then down the bayou or up the bayou and down the bayou, whichever way we were going to get back and forth between these spots. But uh, um, pray for this little building that's going to be used for, in the, at least now, it has been, been used for food distribution. And uh, now that we've fixed it up and it's a little more habitable, um, it's going to start being used for Bible studies. And um, hopefully we'll be able to develop uh, some ministry there in Chauvin, Louisiana. Um, you can see they named a city after me, Morgan City. But, uh, and way out in here, out in the bayou here, is where I went fishing. Unfortunately, the great fishing is a lot of fun. I uh, didn't catch anything we could keep, but uh, a couple others in the boat did. But uh, that was a good time. I want, um, this is Pastor Mike Mathena and his wife, Terry. They are the, the, the pastors at... Um, He's the pastor at Grand Caillou Baptist Church. Um, his brother, Greg, attends Tyler Johnson's church down in Cincinnati, so that's the connection. And uh, go on to the next picture. Uh, Mike and uh, Terry have been ministering down there for, I believe, 17 years, something like that, along that line. Here's some of their grandkids. But I want you to pray for these two. Uh, Mike on the 20th is going to be going in for a procedure to have a brain tumor removed and have a brain aneurysm repaired. Um, so his wife actually had a similar procedure a couple years ago. And she's doing well, although there's a, at times you can tell she's, she struggles a little bit with words or with thought processes or things of that nature. But Mike's going to be going through the same thing on the 20th. He's a good guy. So pray for him and his wife and their, and their church there in Homa. So anyway, you're thinking, when's the sermon start? He must be stalling. Well, I'm not stalling because there's a lot I want to go through today, and we'll see where it goes. But uh, if you would, bow with me. Let's, oh, return trip. I got to stop and see August again. <laughs> it was a great trip. Let's pray. Lord God Almighty and Heavenly Father, we thank you for this day. And Lord, we are so grateful uh, that you are our creator, our sustainer, our savior, 
our deliverer. You're our God. And we are your children. And you treat us with such tenderness and gentleness and abundant love, Lord. We're so thankful. Lord, just now I want to lift up Mike. Lord, just be with him. Give him strength and energy. And uh, Lord, even now, start the healing in his body. And uh, I just pray that uh, whatever the, the medical professionals have to do next week, that it would be done well and that you would bless it and he would receive uh, healing, Lord. And just bless their ministry there at the Grand Caillou Baptist Church. Lord God, I also want to lift up my brother Tim. Just pray that you'd be with him as he uh, mourns the loss of his brother. Lord, uh, we're just so thankful that his brother Keith did in these uh, last few years accept you as his Savior. So we're, we're confident, Lord, that he's with you, but uh, it still hurts. And we just pray for comfort for Tim and Sylvia and for the family. Lord God, use me just now. Speak through me, Lord. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. I want to discuss a basic concept in Scripture that is so important that Christ spoke of it, and through the inspiration of the Spirit, the writers of Scripture utilized several different analogies to help us understand the depth and the scope of this concept. So I'm going to ask for a little bit of audience participation here. The Bible uses a number of analogies to talk about the group of believers that we today know as the church. But what are some of the analogies that are used in Scripture to talk about the church? sheep or flock, okay? What else? Come on. Okay, building. That's a good one. Okay, what else? Bride. Okay, we have the bride and the groom. Okay. What else? Body. Absolutely, a body. We have a body of believers here. What else? Okay, river, uh, branches, vine and branches, right? God is, Christ is the vine, we are the branches. His, how's that go? His banner over me is love. So, um, but, uh, so we have a number of these analogies that are used in scriptures to talk about this. Whatever this is. So I'm sorry, I'm not very practiced in this, so I don't have note sheet for you in your, in your bulletin. And in fact, I didn't even get a, a, a title in time for the printing of the bulletin. But let's just call the title Together. Together. Okay? Flock, vine, family, body. Those are the four that I want to brush across this morning. Probably each of these deserves a sermon all by itself. But I'm going to blow through these because this togetherness is important. Immensely important. And we screw it up all the time. So let's, let's look at it together. Let's talk about the flock. Charles Spurgeon once said, Some Christians try to go to heaven alone, in solitude. But believers are not compared to bears or lions or other animals that wander alone. Those who belong to Christ are sheep in this respect. They love to get together. Sheep go in flocks and so to God's people. We go together. Sheep are mentioned in more than any other animal in the Bible, especially when it comes to referencing God's people. 
And it doesn't take us very long, and I'm sure all of you can come up with a, a number of verses that maybe um, hit on this uh, analogy. Psalm 23, probably one of the most well-known psalms of all times. The Lord is my shepherd, I shall not want. Talks about the relationship between the shepherd and the sheep or this group of people. Isaiah 41.11, he tends his flock like a shepherd. He gathers the lambs in his arms and carries them close to his heart. He gently leads those that have young. Ezekiel 34, 30 and 31, in this way they will know that I, their Lord, I, the Lord their God, am with them, and they will know they, the people of Israel, are my people, says the sovereign Lord. You are my flock, the sheep of my pasture. You are my people, and I am your God, the sovereign Lord. I, the sovereign Lord, have spoken. That's in the Old Testament. We go in the New Testament, and probably the one that speaks about it more than anything is Christ. He talks about this relationship of sheep and the shepherd. In John 10, our Bible often has a heading of the good shepherd and his sheep, or something like that. John 10, 1 to 18, it says, Very truly I tell you, anyone who does not enter the sheepfold by the gate but climbs in by another way is a thief and a bandit. The one who enters by the gate is the shepherd of the sheep. The gatekeeper opens the gate for him and the sheep hear his voice. He calls his own sheep by name and leads them out. When he has brought them out all, all his own, when he has brought out all his own, he goes ahead of them. And the sheep follow him because they know his voice. They will not follow a stranger, but they will run from him because they do not know the voice of the strangers. Jesus used this figure of speech with them, but they did not understand what he was saying to them. I find that interesting in a day and time when um, shepherding was a thing. Now, it might not have been real popular in Jerusalem proper, but uh, in the surrounding areas, certainly they knew and understood what shepherding was all about. It goes on in verse 7. So again, Jesus said to them, Very truly I tell you, I am the gate for the sheep. All who come before me are thieves and bandits, but the sheep did not listen to them. I am the gate. Whoever enters by me will be saved and will come in and go out and find pasture. The thief comes only to steal and kill and destroy. I came that they may have life and have it abundantly. I am the good shepherd. The good shepherd lays down his life for the sheep. The hired hand who is not the shepherd and does not own the sheep, sees the wolf coming and leaves the sheep and runs away. And the wolf snatches them and scatters them. The hired hand runs away because the hired hand does not care for the sheep. I am the good shepherd. I know my own and my own know me, just as the Father knows me and I know the Father. And I lay down my life for the sheep. I have other sheep that do not belong in this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. For this reason, the Father loves me, because I lay down my life in order to take it up again. No one takes it from me, but I lay it down of my own accord. I have power to lay it down, and I have power to take it up again. I have received this command from my Father. So we have this lengthy um, explanation by Christ talking to us about this relationship between the sheep and the shepherd. We are to follow him. We follow him because we know his voice. He cares for us. He protects us from those that would kill and destroy. Now, I want to give a, a maybe a little latitude here for in light of speaking about um, our pastors, the hired hands. Um, there are hired hands that don't deal with their flocks very well. I don't believe that's the case here. I think Eric and Bob do a great job. Uh, they're continuing to explore new possibilities. They're still getting to know us, 
Um, and uh, they love God. And they love us. So we're not going to throw all the hired hands under the bus. But we do not worship. We do not follow the hired hands. We follow the good shepherd. Let's never forget that. And as we saw, as we went through the transition, and has it been three years ago now that Ken stepped aside? We loved Ken. Ken served us well. God called him to something different. Um, so we have new hired hands. Um, and I think these are honorable hired hands as well. Let's uh, just continue to hold them up in prayer. But the idea here is that we follow the shepherd. We follow the shepherd. The sheep uh, hear his voice, they know him. Later in that chapter, um, in Jerusalem at the festival of dedication, we, we go on to read, So the Jews gathered around him and said to him, How long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Messiah, tell us plainly. And Jesus answered, I have told you, and you do not believe. The works that I do in my Father's name testify to me, but you do not believe because you do not belong to my sheep. My sheep hear my voice. I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish. No one will snatch them out of my hand. What my Father has given me is greater than all else, and no one can snatch it out of the Father's hand. The Father and I are one. There is no safer place to be than in the flock, being led by the shepherd. We are meant to be together. We are meant to support one another, encourage one another, bump up against one another, and walk this road together, live this life together, and figure it out together. Boy, that takes a lot of patience. It takes a lot of time. You know, one of the things I want to... Um, I want to back up just a little bit and, and, and look at. And this is the fun part of preparing for a sermon or preparing for a Sunday school lesson, which I hope someday all of you will be doing, preparing a Bible study or a Sunday school lesson or something of that nature, is what you learn in the process. Verse 16, Christ says, I have other sheep that do not belong to this fold. I must bring them also, and they will listen to my voice. So there will be one flock and one shepherd. Who was Christ Jesus talking to in, uh, in John? He was talking to Jews, right? They were his chosen people. So what's this other flock? It's us. <laughs> that's the Gentiles that would be, come into saving faith in Christ Jesus we're the other flock that belong that don't belong in that fold but one day we're going to be drawn together in one fold now I'm not a, a Hebrew or a Greek scholar but uh, I think this is an area where the English language does us a favor because it doesn't differentiate between the plural and the singular of sheep. So if you have one, you have sheep. If you have a hundred, you have sheep. Either way, it's sheep. So we can certainly, in these scriptures, put ourselves in there by ourselves. And we could look at it from that perspective. But we can also put us as a congregation in that picture and have a different perspective a slightly different perspective because we're all sheep I'm a sheep, you're a sheep we're all sheep I think it's safe in most cases to interchange that between the singular applying to us or the plural applying to the whole congregation the whole body
And that's important to understand because um, you know, we, we talk about the church and uh, there's a lot of different ways to look at that. It, certainly there's a church, as in the Maplewood Christian Church, and remember that is the people. It's not the building. It's the people. But there's also the larger church. The word you might use is the Catholic church or the universal church. So I actually made a comment down in Louisiana one night. We had a little debriefing each evening. Talked about our God moments for the day and how we saw God working. And, I, you know, in the whole scheme of things, I thought it was just so neat how um, a group, you know, a, the pinky toe from Harrison, Legacy Christian Church in Harrison, Ohio, was down helping the pinky toe in Chauvin, Louisiana. You know, uh, it's the whole church, you know, the, the whole body. We, we're, we're just a, a little piece of the bigger, the bigger body. But that makes us a little, little flock to the bigger flock or a handful of branches from the bigger branches. We're just a piece. And again, we can, we can apply this bigger and bigger and bigger but we can also come down and apply it to this sheep. I need to follow my shepherd. God's not ignorant of the world that he has, that he is currently keeping his sheep in. And he knew we would face trouble. In Mark 6, 34, it says, Jesus saw the huge crowd as he stepped from the boat and he had compassion on them because they were like sheep without a shepherd so he began to teach them many many things and he warned and he warned us not to be confused or allow ourselves to be misguided Matthew 7 15 it says beware of false prophets which come to you in sheep's clothing but inwardly they are ravening wolves or in Matthew 10 16 look I am sending you out as sheep among wolves so be as shrewd as snakes and harmless as doves. God knew he was putting his sheep in, in a kind of a scary place where there will be challenges. Uh, there will be setbacks. There will be injuries to the flock. Um, but he also gave us guidance to look out for the false prophets, those who would come in and deceive us. It's a group effort, folks. It's a group effort being part of this flock, being a sheep. Um, it's not a spectator sport. We all have responsibility in uh, keeping an eye out for each other and on how things are going, how things are operating, and making sure we're keeping an eye out for those who would um, mislead us or those who are trying to take advantage of us. Church leaders are instructed to look after their flocks. So we have to be vigilant, and in the spirit of the flock, we need to have each other's backs and watch out for each other. In our church experience, we have probably all heard a number of sermons or lessons about the characteristics of sheep. Now, we've probably all heard the sermon about how sheep are stupid. You know, that's one of the things about analogies. At some point in the analogy, it starts to break down. <laughs> um, but we've heard uh, the sermons, or we've actually had the Bible study here at Maplewood a couple years ago, sheep smell. Uh, but they're also used for sacrifice. So we've heard all these different sermons about sheep. But I think the greatest takeaway about the sheep and the flock analogy is that the, just the group mentality or the picture that we need to take away from it. For the most part, any reference to the sheep in a singular context is either about a lost sheep or the Lamb of God. Those are about the only two times where you see it stand alone. Everywhere else, the references are about the group. 
This scripture is familiar to most uh, Christians, and we have probably all considered this section and heard sermons on it as well. I want you to think about it for a second. It says, um, oh, I didn't put the reference down here. I'm sorry. Luke, thank you. It says, starting in verse 1, which chapter is it? 15, okay. Now, all the tax collectors and sinners were coming near to listen to him, and the Pharisees and the scribes were grumbling and saying, This fellow welcomes sinners and eats with them. So he told them this parable, Which one of you, having a a hundred sheep and losing one of them, does not leave the ninety-nine in the wilderness and go after the one that that is lost until he finds it? When he has found it, He lays it on his shoulders and rejoices. And when he comes home, he calls together his friends and neighbors, saying to them, Rejoice with me, for I have found my sheep that was lost. Just so I tell you, there will be more joy in heaven over one sinner who repents than over 99 righteous persons who need repentance. Now, I think often we we can get lazy and get comfortable with these stories and think about that lost sheep as one who is not yet saved. But the story tells us he was part of the flock. So that's us. Every once in a while, we're a lost sheep. But that's okay. We don't have to stay lost. We can repent. And Scripture tells us right here, from the mouth of Christ himself. Heaven rejoices when we repent of our sin and make ourselves right with the shepherd. The same goes on in the next couple of um, um, parables. We have the lost coin and we have uh, the prodigal son and again, we, we often think, we, we kind of get lazy, and we think about, ah, they're not saved yet. Uh-uh. That was the lost coin. It was part of her possession. That's one of us that got away. The prodigal son. He was a son. He was a part of the family. Um, he wasn't just somebody else. He was part of the family. And he wandered away. But heaven rejoices when he repented and returned home. And we can be a source of rejoicing for heaven. Let's talk about branches for a second. We'll get the prop, popcorn cooking in a little bit for intermission. So, still good. Uh, throughout the Old Testament scripture, vines or vineyards represent the prosperity and or status of God's people. It is often spoken of to reference God's caring for his people. We, we see all sorts of stories through the Old Testament about the bountiful vines or the withered vines. We see that example all over the place. But we also see how um, over, over, and over again, it talks about how God is the vine keeper. He's the vine dresser, taking care of his vineyard, his vine. I'm not aware of any vineyard keepers here amongst us today, uh, but I think we can all pretty easily come up with a mental picture of a vine and its branches and even expand that mental image to that of a a whole vineyard. Now again, we need to be careful about the analogies because eventually they break down. And I I looked, um, I Googled it, and looked at the part of a vine. And you know what? I looked in the parts of a vine in the diagrams and nowhere did it say branches. There were um, canes, there were shoots, there were nodes, uh, there were um, little dangly things that grab onto things. Tendrils, tendrils, that was the name, tendrils. Um, all, all sorts of neat things, but none of them said branch. <laughs> so um, we have to be thoughtful in uh, discussing this, but uh, we read in John 15, we, we read about the vines and the vine dresser. Starting in verse 1. I am the true vine, and my Father is the vine grower. He, mo- he removes every branch in me that bears no fruit, 
Every branch that bears fruit, he prunes to make it bear more fruit. You have already been cleansed by the word that I have spoken to you. Abide in me as I abide in you, just as the branch cannot bear fruit by itself unless it abides in the vine. Neither can you unless you abide in me. I am the vine and you are the branches. Those who abide in me and I in them bear much fruit because apart from me you can do nothing. Whoever does not abide in me is thrown away like a branch and withers. Such branches are gathered and thrown into the fire and burned. If you abide in me and my words abide in you, ask for whatever you wish and it will be done for you. My Father is glorified by by this, that you bear much fruit and become my disciples. As the Father has loved me, so I have loved you. Abide in my love. If you keep my commandments, I will abide You will abide in my love, just as I have kept my Father's commandments and abide in his love. I have said these things to you so that that my joy may be in you and that your joy may be complete. We get our sustenance, our nourishment, our strength. We get everything from the vine. And as we are connected to that vine or we are empowered by it, we can thrive. But I, I'm, again, um, I don't know that we have any vineyard keepers here, but I, I have a grapevine in our, we have one in our yard. Unfortunately, we don't pay a whole lot of attention to it. <laughs> it's over there. Um, but every once in a while, I'll go out to that vine, and there'll just be leaves all over the thing. And I'll, I'll get closer and start to look, and there's nothing. There's no fruit, or the fruit that's in there looks like little raisins already. Be careful. Be careful. What's your fruit? What is your fruit? Or is it all just show? Are you just the leaves? Um, It says here that God takes the branches, he prunes them. And he throws them into the fire. Now, again, this is where we have to be careful with the analogies. If we were part of the vine, we're part of him. So that whole once saved, always saved thing kind of comes into the picture here. And, uh, you know, but I I think I relayed to you a couple months ago when um, I announced the fact that um, I was being laid off, that I was not laid off, but asked to resign that I I knew that was a pruning for me there's a lot of branch here and there's some pieces that have been cut away some of the leaves have been cut away and my real fruit is starting to show a little bit and I'm still working on that Um, so you can continue to pray for that uh, pray about that I'm still working on it but we need to remain in the vine And we need to be bearing fruit, bearing fruit, or we may be pruned. It's not the most pleasant of experiences, but it's for your own benefit. It's for your own benefit. We must remember that Christ is our source individually and collectively. A vine full of healthy branches bears a lot of fruit. What's fruit? Galatians 5, 22 and 23. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, gentleness, self-control. Those are the fruit I think God's talking about. A healthy vine bearing much fruit will be attractive to others who will desire to be grafted in. Think about that. All healthy vines can expect to draw the wrong kind of attention, though. Those who would simply take advantage of the fruit. So we need to be careful. All branches should expect pruning and cleaning by the vine grower to help maintain and improve the vine's health. Above all, we must remain in the vine. I want to move on to family. Over and over again in Scripture, the church is described as a family. We can identify all sorts of kinds of families. So I have my actual family, and I used to identify with a work family. 
I have a church family. I even have a barn family. I have all sorts of different families that I'm part of. And some of us, depending on how, you know, how the dynamics are, maybe that family is even maybe fractured a little bit. The, the in-laws, you know, come into the picture, or the outlaws, however you look at that. Or maybe it's the, you know, the, the, the weird uncle or, or whatever the case may be. Maybe it's a step-family. Maybe it's an adoptive family. There's all sorts of families out there. But we have all most likely discovered that family is hard. It's always been hard. Even Adam and Eve in the garden. The first family living in a perfect creation. They were able to visit with God in the cool of the day. They struggled. And it went downhill from there. It went downhill from there. Think of their, their children. One generation away. Killing each other already. So why should we expect much better? <laughs> it's tough. It's tough. Throughout Scripture, we see an account after account of dysfunctional families. The lineage of Christ himself is full of tragedy as far as families go. But that, has never, that was never God's plan. God's plan utilized God himself as the model of fatherhood. God alone is the great provider, full of compassion and love, over and over again showing grace and mercy. This caring, nurturing, and benevolent God at every turn was orchestrating a way for all of us to ultimately become abundantly victorious children of his. But let's look at a couple scriptures here that help us with this idea of the family of God. The first one, 1 John 3, 1 and 2. Can you sing it? Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us. Behold what manner of love the Father has given unto us that we should be called the children of God, that we should be called the children of God. See what kind of love the Father has given us that we should be called children of God, and so we are. The reason why the world does not know us is that it does not know Him. Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared but we know that when that he appears, we shall be like him because we shall see him as he is. We've got a long way to go, folks. Um, God has a plan for us. He's working on us. We've got to remain in the family and rely on the family to support us through that growth. John 1, 12 and 13 but to all who receive him, who believe in his name, he gave power to become children of God, who were born not of blood or of will of the flesh or the will of man, but of God. Luke 12, 22 through 32. He said to his disciples, Therefore I tell you, do not worry about your life, what you will eat, or about your body, what you will wear. For life is more than food, and the body more than clothing. Consider the ravens, they neither sow nor reap, they have neither storehouse nor barn, and yet God feeds them. Of how much more value are you than the birds? And can any of you, by worrying, add a single hour to your span of life? If then you are not able to do so small a thing as that, why do you worry about the rest? Consider the lilies, how they grow. They neither toil nor spin, yet I tell you, even Solomon in all his glory was not clothed like one of these. But if God so clothes the grass of the field, which is alive today and tomorrow is thrown into the oven, how much more will he clothe you, you of little faith? And do not keep striving for what you are to eat and what you are to drink, and do not keep worrying, for it is the nations of the world that strive after these things, and your Father knows that you need them. Instead, strive for his kingdom, 
and these things will be given to you as well. Do not be afraid, little flock, for it is your Father's good pleasure to give you the kingdom. To give you the kingdom. Christ goes on in Matthew to instruct us to pray to the Father and that the Father's preparing a place for us in paradise. And in Romans 8, 16, and 17, Paul tells us we are joint heirs with Christ in God. Paul also tells us in Galatians 6 that we can call out to our, fa- our Abba Father. So if he, may, he is the Father, that makes us brothers and sisters in Christ. How then are we to interact with each other? Here's a couple clues. Romans 12, 9 through 13. Love must be free of hypocrisy. Detest what is evil. Cling to what is good. Be devoted to one another in brotherly love. Give preference to one another in honor, not lagging behind in diligence. Fervent in spirit, serving the Lord, rejoicing in hopes, preserving in tribulation, persevering in tribulation. Devoted to prayer, continue contributing to the needs of the saints and practicing hospitality. I think as brothers and sisters in Christ, what he expects from us is the fruit of the Spirit. The fruit of the Spirit should kind of grease, kind of lubricate the relationships. And we need a lot of it. I believe that is why God put us in these groups to give us a practice field to prepare us for going out into the real battle. What better place to practice and prepare your fruit than in a group or family or a vine that says they love each other? Good place to practice. Good place to practice. I think there can be something even deeper. John 15, 8 says, My Father is glorified by this, that you bear much fruit, and so prove to be my disciples. He wants us to bear fruit. That proves we are disciples. That proves we are part of the vine, we are part of the family, we are part of the bunch, we are part of the group if we are fruitful. Matthew 12, verses 46 to 50, says, While he was speaking to the people, behold, his mother and his brothers stood outside, asking to speak to him. But he replied to the man who told him, Who is my mother and who are my brothers? And stretching out his hand towards his disciples, he said, Here are my mother and my brothers, for whoever does the will of my Father in heaven is my brother and sister and mother. I, I, I'm confident you've most been part of a sermon where it's talked about the hierarchy of importance in your life, of how things should fall. God first, family second. Christ gives us an example of that right here. Believe me, he loved his mother and his brothers and his sisters. We confirmed in Sunday school this morning. He had sisters, stepsisters. He loved them. But the relationship that he most specifically wanted to develop and enhance was that relationship between us as children of God and the Father. And that's done through the... And that's done through the fruit of the Spirit. People all over the world long to be part of a family or a group. And that gives them a sense of belonging, meaning, purpose, feeling of security. I don't know, we've heard for years how, what, what's the big drive for gang membership? Remember hearing these stories? It's because they just want to belong. Well, there's nothing saying that gangs have to be bad. <laughs> Let's be a gang for God. Let's desire membership. Let's desire to be a part. Let's desire to be a part of the family. 
Um, I'm not sure what the initiation would be exactly. <laughs> we won't go there, but they look for belonging. People look for belonging in civic groups, in hobbies, sports groups, gangs. But there is no other group that should be able to provide those feelings of belonging better than the church or the family of God. Finally, the body. We'll consider the analogy of the church as a body. This creates a wonderful picture of what the church should look and act like. First, we must understand that Christ is the head. Colossians 1.18. He is also head of the body, the church. And he is the beginning, the firstborn from the dead, so that he himself will come to have first place in everything. Ephesians 1, 22 and 23. And he put all things under his feet and gave him as head over all things to the church, which is his body, the fullness of him who fills all in all. Christ is the head of the body. Christ is the head of this church. Christ is the good shepherd. Christ is the vine. Christ is the father of our family. You catching on? Okay. Let's not worry about stepdads and hired hands and father. God. 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 What about the body? How are we doing? I don't know. Okay. 1 Corinthians 12, 12 to 31. For just as the body is one and has many members, and all the members of the body, though many, are one body, so it is with Christ. For in one spirit we are all baptized into one body. Jews or Greeks, slaves or free, and we are made to drink of one spirit. For the body does not consist of one member, but of many. If the foot should say, because I am not a hand, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. And if the ear should say, because I am not an eye, I do not belong to the body, that would not make it any less a part of the body. If the whole body were an eye, where would the sense of hearing be? If the whole body were an ear, where would the sense of smell be? But as it is, God arranged the members in the body, each one of them as he chose. If all were a single member, where would the body be? As it is, there are many parts, yet one body. The eye cannot say to the hand, I have no need of you, nor again the head to the feet, I have no need of you. On the contrary, the parts of the body that seem to be weaker are indispensable. And on these parts of the body that we think less honorable, we bestow the great honor, and our, un our unrepresented parts are treated with greater modesty, which, which our more presentable parts do not require. But God has so composed the body, giving greater honor to the part that lacked it. That is that there may be no division in the body, but that the members may have the same care for one another. If one member suffers, all suffer together. If one is honored, all rejoice together. Now you are the body of Christ and individual members of it. And God has appointed in the church first apostles, second prophets, third teachers, then miracles, then gifts of healing, helping, administering in various kinds of tongues. Are all, all apostles, are all prophets, are all teachers? Do all work miracles? Do all possess gifts of healing? Do all speak with tongues? Do all interpret? But earnestly desire the higher gifts. And I will show you still a more excellent way. I want to just point out, in that list of gifts to pursue as part of the body, just... The things that people say they want to pursue as far as gifts are concerned, you know, prophecy or teaching or preaching or tongues or interpretation of tongues. In the order given here, those seem to be of lower value. Somewhere below, the gift of helping, the gift of administering, We all have a place in this body. We all have a purpose in this body. Let's not 
forego fulfilling our purpose. Let's not try to look for something we, we can't do, something we aren't able to do. Let's start where we are. And maybe it's right now in this season of life for you, it's just a gift of helping. Maybe you are a teacher. Maybe uh, you'll be a preacher someday. Uh, I know we've, we've struggled long and hard in this congregation with the issue of tongues. It's out there. I think it exists. I think it's real. I don't know how it works. But I'm okay with that. I'm just going to try to be a helper. And I have a role of administrator here, so I'm going to try to do that well. Grow where you are in the peace that you are for the now, the part of the body you are for now. Grow in that. Develop that. Maybe in another season, God will gift you with something other, something else to do. You know, the next, this is Corinthians, 1 Corinthians 12. You know what the next chapter is, right? 1 Corinthians 13, right? Of course. But what do we call it? The love chapter. Long, long, long before it became standard fare for weddings, it was written for the body of Christ and the members of the body. Love is patient, love is kind, it's not self-seeking, and on and on and on. God wanted the body to be healthy. He wanted it to grow. He wanted it to develop. Ephesians 1, 4, 1 through 7 says, therefore, I, the prisoner of the Lord, implore you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling which you have been called, with all humility and gentleness, with patience, showing tolerance for one another in love, being diligent to preserve the unity of the Spirit in the bond of peace. There is one body, one Spirit, just, also, just as also you were called in one hope of your calling, one Lord, one faith, one baptism one God and Father of, of all who is over all and through all and in all. But to each one of us, grace was given according to the measure of Christ's gifts. There is one body. And you're in it. <laughs> Find your place. Find your spot. Fulfill your purpose. How? Love one another. Display the fruits of the Spirit. Work on developing those fruits. Allowing yourselves to be pruned if needed. This message was laid on my heart long before we ultimately um, granted Bob the permission to go on a, a retreat with his wife this week. And so since Eric was already scheduled off as they're celebrating their anniversary uh, this weekend, uh, unless stuff's with this opening in the schedule. And so I'm glad I've had this opportunity to talk about this, and I'm sorry if I went long. but. We're in what should be the safest place on the face of the earth. We're in the body. We're part of the vine. God's good. He loves us. He has prepared us for this place. We think about the place he's prepared for us somewhere off in the future, and I believe that's there. But he's prepared a place for us here. And he wants us to fulfill that. He wants to step into that. He wants us to do our part. He wants us to be part of the family, part of the body, part of the vine, part of the flock. And follow the good shepherd.
thank you for that, Jeff, but I, I got a little something else I want to do here. No, no, that's, that's beautiful. That's beautiful. Thank you. I'm forgetting how it goes now. Sometimes it's hard for me to understand why we pull away from each other so easily even though we're walking the same road yet we build dividing walls between our brothers and ourselves but I I don't care what labels you may wear if you believe in Jesus you belong with me the bond we share is all I care to see and we will change this world forever if you will join with me join and see see that you're my brother you're my sister so take me by the hand together we will surf until he comes there's no foe that can defeat us when we're walking side by side. As long as there is love, we will stand. The day will come when we will be as one. And together with the mighty voice, we will proclaim that Jesus, Jesus is King. It will echo through the earth and shake the nations and the world will see. See that you're my brother, you're my sister. So take me by the hand. Together we will work until he comes there's no foe that can defeat us when we're walking side by side as long as there is love we will stand lord god almighty and heavenly father we thank you for this day and we thank you for these pictures that you have given us in your word of what the body of Christ should look like, what your church should look like. Lord, help us to strive for that. Knowing that the striving is not in what we can do, but it's what we have to avoid doing. Lord, you tell us that if once we accept you as Christ, that your spirit is in us. If your spirit is in us and fully released, Lord, how can there be any conflict? We stand together today, Lord, as one. But help that one become a tighter, stronger, more vibrant bond that holds us together so we can face the struggles together. That's why you put us in these petri dishes we call churches. To test it, to try it, to work it out. Lord, help us to strive to that end. Lord, we thank you for your mercy and we pray, pray that you'll continue to shower your grace upon us and show us the way, Lord, help us to hear your voice and to be obedient and faithful. And Lord, this morning we just pray that uh, if there's anyone that has a fractured sense of family, feels like they don't belong, feels like they're not growing in the vine, 
Lord, help us change that today. If there's any need of prayer, Lord, we ask that uh, you would uh, urge, urge those individuals to come forward. If there's anyone, Lord, that has not yet given their life to you, we, we ask that they would come forward. Today's the day. Eternity can start today. Lord God, help us. Help us be the church. We pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Please stand as we draw the service to a close.